Welcome to the Women in Sport podcast brought to you by CSM. We're really excited this evening. Um, We're not so excited because this is not what we had planned, uh, but we've improvised and we've made our best. But we're really excited because this is the start of a new collaboration with Women in Sport and CSM Live. And to sort of announce this and uh, explain some of the things we're going to be doing is Stacey Knight from CSM Live. Hello, Stacey. I know you're obviously really excited too, and this isn't how Super we imagined no. we'd be kicking things off. Unfortunately, um, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm a bit of an extrovert, so I thought I'm going to be sitting, holding court in front of hundreds of people, and we'd all be quaffing wine, having beers, having little nibbles, and uh, speaking about some important topics. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put this controversially out there. I think this is almost a bit nicer, ladies. I feel as I get you all to myself. Yeah. There's no that. wine and snacks, but That's... we still have some Next very time. important guests. <laughs> we have some amazing guests. And amazing if you, guests. If you're on the Twitter live stream, you actually can't see Stacey or myself. I'm 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 like imagine a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the beauty of podcasts. I mean, you can be whoever a, you I, want, I'm right? Amazing. Uh, but we'll do a quick, quick little intro uh, as well for the podcast, which will be released tomorrow, but also for the, for our live streamers, of which I think we have a couple now. So we have Anita Asante from Hello. Chelsea Women and uh, uh, also an ambassador of Amnesty International. Hello, Anita. Thanks for having me. Uh, Atlanta. Is it Sunjun or it's, it is Sunjun? Yeah. I knew it. But I knew it. Saint John works too. Yeah, because I always thought it's Sunjun, and then people say Saint John, but it's Sunjun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. From Harlequin's Women. Nice. Thank you for having Hello. me. And uh, Carmen. Hello from the Running Charity. Hiya. So we've got a really great, exciting lineup of guests. Um, but Stacey, first of all, I want to chat to you yeah. because we had a little phone call we, ahead we of this indeed. when we thought we were going to have a you know a big audience of two hundred people. Yes. So now there's just five of us in the room anyway. Hmm. Uh, but lots of people will hopefully be listening to this afterwards, and we've got a few people tuning in. Your sporting journey. You do some cool sports. Um, so I just want to talk to you about kind of your passion for sport and also why you're doing this I guess yeah yeah do, do you know what I'm um I, I I suppose I don't have what you classify as a traditional sporting background so the the sports that I've done and I've practiced a long time are um I do a sport called Iaido which is Japanese sword fighting that oh. I've done for 12 years <laughs> I do Jodo which is staff fighting and I'm a skydiver as well so on my my wow. route has been yeah. <laughs> My route has been slightly different, but as a, as a true northerner, so I'm I originally hail from a place called Egremont, which is famous for gurning, um, <laughs> which once you know that makes a hell of a lot of sense, uh, which is why it's good that the camera's not on me. I have, I have to be brutally honest, and um, but I was obviously a rugby league girl you know grew up with it through and through and so when I was lucky enough to be appointed as a non-exec in the Rugby League World Cup 2021 I was incredibly excited and for me it's been just the most inspirational uh, event to be part of where we have um, women's wheelchair and men's happening concurrently for the first time in England I think wow that you know that's something truly truly special um, and joining CSM Live was was obviously a part of that and being being able to work with some phenomenal sports um, both within the UK and globally and be very very lucky to meet some fantastic talented really inspirational athletes 
don't let it go to your heads, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> but I am talking about you girls. Um, and just be truly inspired because, you know, I, I do truly believe that sport can be the most um, utopian of things that can bring people together because it doesn't know any boundaries and it can transverse. It doesn't matter about, shouldn't matter about your gender, about your your race, about your religion, about any of that. It, it has the power to bring together both fantastic athletes and fans in kind of universe, in, in unison and celebration. So I think, you know, it's a belief at CSM Live that, that we really want to champion this idea that sport is for absolutely everybody and really get behind this. So this kind of collaboration um, with, you, you know, with your good selves at Women's Sport made absolute sense for us and we're absolutely delighted to be a part of it. Well, you've really massaged our egos, so thank you very much for that, Stacey. <laughs> You're welcome. So we brought these women together because um, they're all doing things within their communities that are empowering other women. And although it's past Sunday, the official International Women's Day, we wanted to platform women who are each for equal, which was the theme this year, which is they're making an impact because everyone can make an impact in their communities. No matter what you're doing, no matter who you are, everyone can impact and influence others. In, in And in relation to our work, it's to get active. So first of all, I wanted to ask you guys how you ended up being sporty. How did you find your passion for sport and, and who inspired you? Anita, do you want to kick things yeah. off? Um, yeah, I would say, I, I wouldn't say my family is particularly sporty, but my, my dad always watched football and stuff. And growing up, I think I just was that type of child I think I was just a bit hyperactive and always running around and um, I just naturally started kicking balls around and my dad and my uncles you know really noticed that it was something I picked up and any opportunity I had to just play with other kids the natural thing we would go to is a football it's the easiest thing to get hold of and it was you know everyone sort of has one around in their house or outside in the garden and um, yeah and that's when I just sort of felt in a, I was in a space I could just you know run around, kick a ball, and see what happens. Yeah, Atlanta, how did you find your passion for rugby? Uh, mine's a bit, mine's a bit different. I played all the normal school sports uh, when I was growing up, <clears throat> but I wasn't ever really very good at anything. Uh, and then I actually just fell into rowing because I messed around in a lot of boats, and I was so bad. I was so bad <laughs> at it, like really, it was pretty awful. But I, it had a, I had a coach who said you could be all right with this. Like, I'm almost six foot. So, you know, as a kid, I was pretty tall from an early age. And I just stuck at it, kind of plugged away. And it was it's a pretty tough sport. You have to train a lot to, to you know, any race a few times a year. But uh, I fell in love with it. It's pretty relentless. Um, but it kind of, you know, unfortunately, injury sort of curtailed my rowing career. But I kind of knew that I wanted to work in elite sport. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to kind of work with athletes. And that's kind of, I guess... In a, in a long way, I've worked on a few major events like the World Cup and the Commonwealth Games. Uh, yeah, it's how I've kind of ended up here and, and working at Harlequins, which I've been been now for a good five years or so. And Carmen, your experience is a bit different because yeah. you're not involved in the elite side of sport, no. but you're really sort of engaged with the grassroots element and sort of every yeah. every young woman, whatever aspect of yeah. their journey they might be on. Exactly. Um, so for myself, I even though I was sporty at school, I got involved with netball and badminton from a primary age, a bit of athletics, kind of put my hand in everything. But I was the kid that typically wasn't like the most brilliant at each sports but I give it a go sort of thing so for me it's kind of I want to help those people that are in the similar situation to where I was when I was younger so 
to, to a point, I did do a little bit of kind of leap with Talent Pathway in England Netball, but that was really brief. Um, but generally, grassroots is where um, my passion lies, really, at the moment. And, I, and I'm really intrigued. I just want to pick up on a point because <coughs> when, when I was growing up and I was a little girl, um, playing rugby, playing football, um, running um, wasn't a thing for us women. It was ballet, jazz and tap were the things. And if you didn't do that, you were very strange. And if I didn't walk around in a little tutu, if I was kicking a football around, I, I, I would probably got a, quite a lot of stick. How did you find growing up and getting involved in, in sports that, that, you know, at the time probably weren't traditionally, you know, quote unquote, seen as female sports? Um, I guess for me... Um my mum did try to get me into ballet, actually. We've all been there, trust me. We've all been there. And I wasn't having any of it. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously she tried to get me involved and engage in a lot of different things. But in school, um, I tried everything. You know, I played netballs and the track team did a bit of tennis so I guess I became my identity sort of became the tomboy girl that was playing in all the sports teams and for me it was like a positive thing mm. it was a positive experience that's how my peers sort of related to me or understood me and I could circumvent myself in circumvent myself in different spaces you know with the boys they accepted me because I played football and they thought that was cool the girls as netball it was like yeah whatever you know team sports so I don't feel like I really felt this sort of like uh, this I can't do this mm. element it's really I think I think from my side I actually probably see it more now and the changes that rugby's brought about um both union and league I think both doing amazing things at the moment and you know I've got 60 players in our in our squad who obviously have all grown up they're kind of ranging in ages from 18 to to their mid 30s and you listen to them speak and it was exactly the same they couldn't really have the opportunity to play rugby or they could start off playing with their brothers or their mates and then it got to a certain age and and they had to stop and and that's where the game has changed. And that's where it's just incredible to see what's happening. We get so many clubs come down to our to our ground to see from all over the country, from across Europe, because we have a lot of international players. And it's just amazing that that pathway is now in place and the grassroots is so critical. We're not going to have the elite end if we don't continue to, to grow the grassroots. And, you know, I think in every women's sports, that's key is that these girls have now got role models to look up to and realise that that's a not, it doesn't even have to be a profession because not everyone really wants to be a professional athlete, but they can be They can be fans, they can be followers, they can play themselves and they can just have fun and they can do it whatever age, you know, whatever age they are. There's no stopping them now. And, and that's, I think, has been such a huge change that, that women's sport's going through at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of my experience with sport when I was younger, similar to Anita's, like I tried to play with the boys, so football, they'd let me play with them. There was an incident where we tried to get the school to let us have a girls' team. They wouldn't let us have one. They said, yeah, the boys can have one, the girls can't have one. But I know that's changed now since I've moved on from the school. And I think, again, it's just that opportunity to be able to go, actually, yeah, girls can do what boys can do. Maybe sometimes better, maybe not, but at least they're having a go at it. And I think that's just opportunity is so important. If you don't have that opportunity, then you may never pick that sport or activity up in life like for me I'm probably the reverse that I never did the girly stuff when I was younger whereas now I've started doing a bit of kind of things like ballroom and latin dancing as a thing as a side to what I do running wise is something that's different 
And I think maybe if I'd had the opportunity when I was younger, then maybe I might have gone down the girly route, but I'm kind of glad I didn't. And how, how do we create more opportunities for women and girls? Where, do, where, do, where does that even start? I think, I think a lot of it's around visibility. <clears throat> and again, hopefully at the elite end, that can be kind of the platform to kind of give them something to watch, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, watch, to follow. But, but it's just letting them understand they can do it. And as you know, I think football and rugby are great because you literally need a ball. Like, and football even more so, you stick a couple of jumpers or sweaters yeah. down on the floor and you're good to go and you're in the park and you're with your friends and you're running around. And I just think that that everything is going in the right direction now. You know, they're seeing it on TV, they're seeing it in media and broadcast. Um, even things like this happening today, you know, that didn't happen probably sort of five, five, six years ago that people were just talking dedicated topics of women's women's sport. And I think it's just it's, it's driving visibility at every level is so it's so important from athletes to broadcasters to, to corporate businesses. Um, it's just all making a massive change. And just the activities, as Carmen says, like if they're doing stuff on a regular basis, you're giving access and those opportunities to young people to get involved. Yeah. Carmen, your charity, The Running Charity, is probably an organisation that a lot of people don't know about. Could you tell us a little bit about the organisation and also the young women that you work with? Um, So we are an organisation that was set up off the back of um, Alex Eagle, who's the CEO. Um, He used to work in a day centre in King's Cross. Um, He used to work with homeless services there. And there was like a real need for kind of having a structured sports sessions for the homeless people there because their lives are quite chaotic they need something that's kind of constant for them to be able to go and do it and say, actually, yeah, I can do it because someone believes that I can do it. Um, it, it officially became a charity a few years ago now. Um, there's myself, my colleagues Claude and Stephen, both who were ex-students um, on the programme. They're now full-time members of staff. And we kind of go out and help people from the ages of 16 to 25. For myself, with young women, it can be between 14 to 30 because there's such a wide range of needs for young women out there at the moment. And it's just kind of giving them somewhere to go, have sports sessions, a bit of mentoring. It's kind of giving them that somewhere, that release for something that just maybe for an hour a week they don't have to worry about they don't have to kind of think oh oh my god what am I doing you know I'll be safe in this space we can offer that support to them and Atlanta you you said earlier that you were hoping that if we had done the live event a couple of your players were going to come along as well and I know within your role at Harlequins there's a lot of mentoring that you do because you're trying to support your players Mm -hmm. and help them on a journey that might not involve playing rugby right is you're trying to support a prolonged career exactly and I think you know I think that probably comes from personal experience that unfortunately my sports career stopped pretty quickly um, and you know I've suffered a few bad injuries and I've kind of lived through it and it's something I'm quite sort of close to my heart quite passionate about that recognizing that athletes if I could tell every business in the world to hire athletes I would because they have such amazing skills from time management teamwork like all the usual stuff but they're, they're such hard workers and um, for us we just want to provide opportunities on and off the field and a lot of our players are still full-time sort of career workers doing some incredible things in the military in the emergency services their accountants their teachers their PhD lecturers they've got some incredible stories that actually benefit us when we're telling people about what we're doing at Harlequins um, but for me rugby is not necessarily a, a long-lived career career um you know medical standards sort of performance athleticism is all still stepping up but it is a contact sport and unfortunately it can be done very quickly let alone you know i know women's football is kind of going through the similar things at the moment 
And yeah, for us, it's really key to make sure there's a pathway back out of the sport. And what's great is, is some of them have 10-year careers already and they're actually getting into more full-time professional rugby now and they're going to have something to, to fall back on, which, you know, as I said, is, is key to the club to give them those opportunities so they perform on the pitch. But if they're happy off it, it's kind of a, a great all-round circle that's, that's key. And Anita, off the pitch, I know you're involved in, in Amnesty's Football Welcomes project. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I got approached by Amnesty like in the early 2000s um, and Naomi Westland was running this project because um, she was an avid football fan, a supporter, and so she wanted to use football as a way to um, get clubs, in, especially to support in, uh, newly arrived refugees. Um, so it's a program that's been running since 2017, started with like 30 clubs and now it's rolled out to about 177 clubs involving the Premier League and also the NWSL and championship level. Um, and basically, it's just about using football as a vehicle to sort of unite a community and and give people the opportunity to meet people as well that they maybe would never meet in everyday circumstances, um, as well as giving them the exposure to the sport uh, in various ways. You know, like we said, you don't have to play the sport. You could just watch or, you know, we, we're finding out now, obviously, there's so many more roles within football, you know, um, in terms of leadership or in terms of refereeing, etc. So um, a lot of the coaches from the clubs across the country were just really enthusiastic about joining the project, trying to organise um, friendly games, charity matches against refugee teams and also mixed teams. And yeah, they've just seen it grow and grow. And it seems like everyone's on board and everyone's benefiting basically from the sort of shared passion of, of what football can do to sort of drive the uh, community spirit. So, so I'm interested, um, and, and Nita, we'll start with you. How has how have you seen football changed since you made your England debut? Yeah, in loads of ways. I mean, uh, like Atlanta mentioned, you know, the the professionalisation of the game is is huge now compared to the past where most girls used to train twice a week and it was amateur. Um, you know, like had to go into education or stay in education longer, thinking about your future career because uh, football wasn't seen as a viable career prospect. And now you've got full-time clubs, better facilities, the resources, but also the football economy has grown, you know, so now you can afford to um, support those players, both on and off the pitch, but also encourage, you know, sort of an, an inter trading and international movement of players and and the, the commercial interest as well with television um, coverage has grown significantly since that time. I think it's still got a long way to go, but these are the um, sort of the sort of the early parts of driving that change and it's having a really positive impact as we're seeing with um, just how many more young girls are taking up the sport. And and how do we, because you made a really good point there, which is, you know, it has it grown and come along so much as it, as it has in, in just about all sports, but it's still not there. You know, the, the the Women's World Cup was a phenomenal success last year, but mm. but we're still not seeing matches every day on a Saturday afternoon being broadcast on, you know, mainstream TV. Why haven't we got to that level yet? What can we do to to make it that that women are just as, you know, given the platform for audiences as as the men are? Yeah, I think ultimately it comes down not just in football and all, across all the sports mm, mm. that we reinforce this message that it's about opportunity giving you know 
from grassroots to the elite level, the opportunity for it to keep on developing so that we will have the, you know, the interest, the quality that everyone's sort of demanding. The women's game is still young comparatively to the men's and there's a lot of comparison that comes with that. But the, both sports haven't had the same starting point. So I think that's fundamental to it. You know, we've not had the same starting point, but look already what we've achieved in such a small, uh, short space of time and how much further we can go if we get the same commitment from, you know, everyone involved in the game, from the macro level to the, you know, the FIFA, the UEFA's to um, other uh, global partners and, and commercial partners that are interested in driving that change just on the pure premise of we should support women mm. why not mm. you know on a, on a level of discrimination let's sort of eradicate that everyone yeah. deserves a, an equal opportunity and um atlanta what about your time at harlequins have, have you seen a change yeah absolutely i mean we we're we're obviously a step behind women's football i look on with envy sometimes <laughs> <laughs> very jealous that chelsea women's got some great bus branding where i live and i love it <laughs> and i've said that to them i absolutely love it and they're, they're our close neighbors in terms of location but we're, we're three years into being in a new, brand new national league. So that's why we're a little bit behind in terms of, of where we're at. And I think for us, we've seen significant growth on and off the field in terms of just performance infrastructure and, and crowds growing. But I think to Anita's point, people have to be brave. And it, it is kind of a point where going, OK, you keep saying that you might do something or, um, you know, there's not enough interest. And I think every time a major women's sports event shown, the TV figures, the attention, the media is so huge that it's reached a point going the interest is there and there is no longer a chance to say, well, we're not quite sure about it. And any women's sport is evolving so much quicker than men's, the men's game. I mean, rugby went professional sort of 25, 30 years ago. Women's rugby is, is not, it's going to take three to five years to be a fully fledged professional setup. Um, and we can learn from, from men's, men's games, but we are different. And I think it offers so many different opportunities and, and companies are starting to wake up to that. But it's going to take one person to be, I think Barclays, what they've done is amazing in women's football and a few more people being truly brave and going, right, we're going to commit to this because not only is it the right thing to do, but actually one one big thing for me is it's not women's sport, it's just sport. People want to watch it. They want to watch it and the opportunity and the product is there to, to keep driving it forward. And it, it won't, it's not, it's just going to take someone to take that first step to really push push things on. And how do we grow audiences domestically? So away from those big international tournaments, what needs to happen for more people to, you know, because you absolutely hit on the head where you said uh, viewing figures are through the roof. Um, So what does it take for domestic audiences to go, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and see a match. I'm going to go and see a game. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, look, it's challenging, you know, it depends on, on what the resources you have between each sport and each club. So, um, you know, I think Chelsea and Harlequins hopefully are two great examples that their men's side have really got behind them. So we're both probably a bit of a one club ethos. Um, you know, particularly at Harlequins, you walk in and the men and women are side by side on branding. You can tell it's their home. Our social tags are everywhere. Um, our squad pictures are up. And, and we're, we've gone from a one club from day one because we recognise that was the way it was really going to go. I think... You know, it, it will remain challenging because of that visibility. But for me, you know, we've touched on what my players do in terms of careers. The stories there just allow you to say, to tell people so many different things. It's not just about what they're doing on the pitch, but what they're doing off of it, connecting to different audiences, different industries. Um, and it's just getting people to talk about it. Because as you say, if you if you love women's sport and you're in it, 
I think people absolutely sing its praises mm-hmm. and they talk about it all the time and it's just trying to naturally grow those links. We have a lot of people come down who go, well, I've never watched women's rugby or I'm not interested because I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a, it's a great game. And genuinely within three minutes, they're like, wow, what have we been missing? <laughs> and we really see is. them, yeah, and we see them come back. Yeah. We are now getting repeat people coming back going, that was incredible. They've either kind of seen a game 20 years ago and and gone, okay, that's stepped on. Or they went, oh, we, we wouldn't think women play rugby. And they just go, this is incredible and I think the same the same for football mm-hmm. probably going exactly the same thing kind of convincing people that it's it's an amazing thing to come and watch and coming yeah. you, you you must have some fantastic stories of participants that have, have yeah you know, kind of been through with you can you can you tell us any anything? um so there's a young lady called um Zam Zam um so this was before I joined um she was a 400 meter runner who came over from Somalia to represent her country at London 2012 um, in her home country it's frowned upon that women are really participating in sport um, she had to seek refuge because her life was being threatened bless her um, to the point that she was getting death threats while she was over here um, so she was being isolated she was homeless at one point and it's just by pure coincidence that the hostel that she was staying in um, they came into contact with the running charity who put her in contact with us and she's kind of she's flourished now you know you look at her and you think looking back on her story she's not that person anymore she's always been determined but that that sort of particular incident really knocked her confidence she was like locking herself away she didn't want anyone to see her um now she's working, she's got somewhere to live. She ran London Marathon a few years ago. She's running it again this year on our behalf. Um, she got awarded the Spirit of London Award as well. So, she, you know, she's she's an amazing young person and she's so determined and she her spirit kind of it rubs off on everyone else that comes to our sessions and just that's the kind of empowerment we want from women who come through our um, sessions. A lot of the young women are coming from... Um, abuse running away from violence trafficking mental health is such a big thing right now women typically have a really low self worth of themselves sort of thing and it's kind of just trying to get them to realize that they're so much more than they think they are and it's kind of we try and foster that but at the end of the day they've got it within them it's just being able to kind of spark that interest in the first place Alenta, you mentioned um, trying to attract people who might have not seen the sport before and Carmen, obviously, how do you persuade people who haven't got that natural tendency to want to do sport? Obviously, we know in England, looking at the data, there's obviously a a whole host of women and girls who aren't participating. How do you guys think that 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 could change? I mean, what what are the, you know, organisations failing to do in a way? I think kind of the approach to to the sport in particular, if you market it, in such a way that it's just not going to appeal to them it's not going to work so like race for life is a good example of like women going into running there's no pressure to win it you know you're fundraising for a a good cause you know you can dress up you can it doesn't matter what you look like and just have fun if like obviously in the olden days you used to have like men in really short shorts and like women would have to dress in ridiculous like long skirts or something to do exactly the same thing that's not really going to like say well actually women can do what men can do it's all about kind of tapping into like 
yeah, we know you're a bit nervous about this activity. There's nothing to be nervous about. Things like couch to 5K and the park run movement are such a, you know, a great example of how to get people from the grassroots level who like might be scared to run by saying, actually, you can walk first. There's nothing wrong with walking. Walking's a necessary part for you to be able to run and then do other activities, moving on to then putting things like a ball in, objects that you can throw and hit. And it's just kind of getting that sort of gentle progression and not just being like filling your face going like, oh, you really want to do this because it'll be really good for you. But not, you know, saying like, actually, you know what, take it a step back and if it's not for you, that's not the end of the world. There's always another option for something else or maybe you'll come back to it later in life and then you realise actually it wasn't as bad as it was when you were younger. And and that's very much like, I, do you remember the campaign? I still remember it for This Girl Can, mm. where it was kind of, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter your ability, you you, you can do anything, just get up and do it. Um, Anita, you're, you're a role model. Uh, do you feel pressure to kind of say and do things in a certain way I mean how do you act as a role model what's your kind of approach yeah I think um, I think as the game has got more professional I think more of us are realizing sort of the impact we have on young people um, and what they see so you know you have to be more responsible with what we do and how we present ourselves um, and I, I've always I always think that for me personally I just want to stand up for things that I believe in and support causes that I are close to myself or you know that I'm passionate about and I don't you know as long as I'm true to that I think I'm hopefully usually on the right path so that's something I've always been proud to do um, and I don't think it's something that athletes in general should feel that they have to do because not everyone is comfortable with that and we all have different uh, abilities like you know speaking in public or you know engaging with certain communities in talking to young people or whatever so but it's a fine line sometimes it's a tightrope because we do represent big brands and it's not just our clubs it's the people that work with our clubs um and as we've seen in you know some instances in the men's game that's been controversial when a player has spoken up about a cause that is particularly close to them and the club hasn't necessarily supported them and their, their their actions or their voice. So um I think it's it, it's a, a difficult one, you know, because players shouldn't feel, I think, that they have to be gagged. Um it, you know, as long as as long as they are using uh, our ability to have free speech in the right way, you know. So that that's how I really look at it. And I think I've been fortunate enough that every club I've played for, including Chelsea, has been very supportive actually of the things that I I talk about and I stand for and they don't really limit me in doing those things um, but of course as an individual I, I would love to encourage more athletes it, across the board whatever level to to feel that they can stand up for things and have a voice and use their platform something I want to ask all of you and it's, it is a bit of a hypothetical question because <laughs> if money was no option and you could do any campaign you wanted or you could create any programme, you know, to get women and girls active or, or whatever. What would you do and, and how would you do it? What would, what would be your idea? It's a tough one, but I think for me, I just think that I would want to work with any sort of project that engages young people, um, especially young people that, are having difficulties, unstable uh, situations, living situations, um, especially when it comes to, you know, unable to eat and, and having to think about the basics that should be available to everyone. 
um, because I think that's what limits their their dreams. It limits their ability to see ahead a positive future. So any sort of project that works with young people, allowing to take away that emotional uh, pressure and stress in their lives so that they can focus on being like who they want to be, who they can imagine that they will be in years to come would be something I would want to sort of put, put all my money into because they are the future ultimately and they're going to make um, hopefully the world a better place continually with cha- with time. Do you want to just do a three sport? <laughs> <laughs> Generally, I think uh, I think mine would be very similar. I think women's rugby in it's obviously got a long history in some regards and in other ways is very young. And, and because girls have never had that pathway, it is absolutely the young people. I mean, I, I one of my players sent me um, actually a tweet the other day for a school in, in sort of South London. They've started a girls rugby team. They can't even afford rugby boots. They're kind of borrowing shoes from the teachers. They're they're turning up in jeans or whatever to, to play sport. We've sent them a whole load of Quinn stuff. We, we kind of shared their Just Giving page and they, they've able to buy some boots. We're going to invite them down to a game. And for me, you've, you've kind of nailed it on the head. You have to be able to give people those opportunities. Like it's just so important and it, it isn't about sort of that elite level right now because that level exists it's it's making sure that that young girl can become a footballer or a runner yeah. or, a, or a rugby player or anything that she wants to do or she you know it might teach her the skills that she becomes a ceo one day it isn't it isn't all about professional sport so a hundred percent agree it would definitely be a, a program centered around giving giving girls the opportunity for us big thing because we're particularly in london we're london wide transport is such a big issue for a lot of the young people in terms of homeless people, obviously access to money is quite limited. So in an ideal world, we could have enough hubs or even just enough kind of members of staff to go out and deliver our sessions and have enough people to be one-to-one with them. Um, kit, again, as Atlanta said, kit's really important. If you don't have the kit, you can't really do the activity. It's like typically with running, it's need a pair of trainers. That's like the bare minimum, really, with starting and kind of having role models on hand, really, kind of with girls sessions it's good to have female role models you know it's great that you've got male role models as well and there are women who don't care either way who their role models are but I think you need to kind of have like someone who represents them so like for myself I never had anyone that was really like me in any way when I was growing up playing sport um so kind of for me being able to have someone I can identify with and say yeah that's the kind of person I want to be that would be great Do, do you have a role model now I do, yeah. So kind of like Kelly Holmes and Paula Radcliffe are really strong female runners. Um, Women runners in particular, very strong on the ultra scene right now. They're smashing it over the men, which is quite quite interesting to see, you know. And like Jasmine Parrish, she did one of the races and there was another runner, I can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. She was like breastfeeding midway through the race and still running and like that for me that's amazing seeing women just like smash the stereotypes smashing the barriers that for me that you know that's a great thing to see out there right now and who are who are your guys role models um well I always loved the Williams sisters like obviously just rocked off in the tennis scene and started smashing everything (laughs) they they didn't just smash it they killed it it, so I was just like whoa who are these you know especially sisters as well amazing to have that um yeah I just looked up to them and thought they were just amazing role models and they seemed fearless they were brave they were entering I guess a space that really wasn't um probably even visible to them you know so they were sort of setting the pathway for the Coco Guffs and all the young ones rocking up now so um yeah definitely that was my role models I think 
I think mine is I don't have. I don't have anyone in particular in the sense that there's been so many. Like, obviously, the Atlanta Olympics, I remember watching. I thought you just said yourself. No, 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 no. The Atlanta Olympics. I remember, remember, you know, I remember watching. I loved the Olympics. I absolutely loved the Olympics. And I, you know, I remembered that one just because of the link to to the name. And there's been so many amazing athletes. And I think clearly from the role I play, I'm I'm not an athlete, uh, is is all these women doing some great things now on sort of the the administration side, the business side of sport, because I think that's been a huge change and even as someone who's sort of hopefully moving up career wise it's kind of gives me something to look look up to and go okay well those opportunities might be there one day and you know the opportunity to be involved at the highest level of sport is is you know all of these people on and off the field are doing some great things and I know we could be in this tiny room all evening (laughs) and we weren't meant to be in a tiny room but this is where we are so I, I do want to sort of wrap things up but um, hopefully we will get to another stage where we might be able to do a live event. Um, but I want to ask you guys, if you could change one thing in sport, what would it be? Because we're, 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 we're all about making change and empowering others. And you guys have really shared your personal stories and, and what you're working on and what inspired you. But we really want to inspire others moving forward. So there's one thing you could change a bit like you know Stacey mentioned the This Girl Can campaign which has really inspired people what is that change that we could do to, to inspire more more people to get active there's some yeah, thinking time right. there's some solid thinking there's time going on Stacey do you have an idea so, so yeah and I, I wanted to pick up on something that you, that you said Atlanta about it's it's you know I think inspiring women is 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 opening up to the fact that you don't have to necessarily be an elite athlete to get involved in sport. You you can do, you know, I'm currently, what my big thing is at the moment is weightlifting and 80s aerobics. Um, I think it's That just, is the best combo I've ever heard. <laughs> great, right? Great. I will never do it at, at an elite level. I mean, I'm not sure there's 80s aerobics elite level, but if there was... Is it, is it 80s aerobics and weightlifting combined, or are they two separate things? No, I do them separate, but... Oh, OK. I think we need to Maybe this is the perfect mashup yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally went off with it. But what I, what I thought was really cool was, was about, you know, when, when women think about career in sports, what I think is really good is that is that yes, there's the um, there's the elite athlete route, you know, and that's that's hugely inspirational and is such an important part. But there's all the all the roles and functions behind mm. elite athletes, all the support network from the physios through to you know the coaches, the mentoring, the administration side, the marketing, the and I think that's really good to say. Don't limit yourselves to one specific sport open yourselves up to as many as you want because you will find that 80s weightlifting class for you <laughs> you will find it eventually you will find it <laughs> no, when you do you'll be there you'll be there so not maybe not 80s aerobics or maybe 80s aerobics but if there's anything else could you send me that... the class list because yeah. I'm, I'm definitely do this you've got to join yeah. us this is, this is good stuff I think I think kind of what I touched upon earlier was was two things for me the significant change could be if broadcasters got behind it if commercial got behind it and it just became sport and i know i've said that already but it it should just be sport and there's an amazing initiative in ireland at the moment called 20 by 20 that's trying to increase coverage by 20 percent by 20 by by 2020 which is this year and we've got a couple of irish players in our squad who've really got behind it and they've had such massive success over there and their, their, their tagline if you can't see it you can't be it 
and it and it's really it's really straightforward and simple the more visibility the more opportunity you give so we just get to the norm of going you know it's just sport and i think i mean harlequins has had some really good success with its kind of core members they want to just watch a quinn shirt now they don't know they don't care who's in it they want to win and they want to be at home <laughs> and they want to be at the stoop and they want to see see their players and it, it's just that shift change to to show people that they should just follow sport regardless who's playing at it regardless of what level opportunities there i think that that would be the big change no longer just going oh well, it's women's sport and you know let's get behind it because we should or it's the right thing yeah. to do actually the product's there and it's waiting to to kind of to run with it and, and it's ready to go um, I guess for me it's kind of eradicating that really obvious kind of split in genders, particularly in running. There's still races where prize money is completely different. Um, I was speaking earlier with the cross country. Um, so it was a lady called Tina Sant- uh, Chantry that I was talking to. Um, she's protested the cross country because the men run 12K, the women run 8K. So there's like a big difference just because they think women can't do it. And honest to God, I've seen women that can do things like that. So I really don't think that should be an issue I mean if you look at Catherine Switzer who did the marathon she proved that women can do marathons again with all women's sport we're just that little bit behind the men's sport and I think if we didn't have that we would so be like on par of the men if maybe not better I think and that's the thing it's just kind of get rid of that disparity between the two you just have to watch SAS are you tough enough (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah I agree with everyone's points I think um, it always is down to visibility and diversifying the you know marketing the campaigning as well and including that of disability including that of you know the disabilities we don't see that you know autism things like that as well um making it you know people see that sport is for everyone actually um and that's going to come when we have you know ordinary people as well presenting not just elite athletes when it comes to big brands and the way they campaign um i think will engage more people uh, to feel that they're part of something something you know especially when it comes to clubs and organizations you know they're off they act as beacons of that community so everyone can relate to it but everyone wants to feel some in some way that they have a connection and representation will do that well this has been a really interesting conversation uh and thanks everyone for coming down um into our little tiny nice cozy <laughs> room uh stacy stacy thank you so much thank also you. for joining us and um I think you, we might need to make you the host because, um, you know, someone's coming for my job big time. I need to watch my back. I'm not sure anyone wants to listen about 80s aerobics weightlifting. No, that's if the next do. podcast episode. If you do, I don't know. I, do I want to listen to it. Yeah, like, hands down, uh, I want to yeah, find out thank more. Yeah, you, thank you so much. And I'm so thank excited you. about this next 12 months of CSM Live and the, the events which will, fingers crossed, be uh, doing, as well as all the podcasts we've got lined up for you guys. And please, yeah, keep your tweets and and your, your posts and your comments and your emails coming through. We've had so much good feedback and um, we've recently hit, I think, 3,200 um, listeners on the podcast and hopefully, you know, an, another another 10,000 by the end of the year. So, yeah, keep listening and, and see you next month. <laughs>